Welcome to the Vulnerable Scientist Podcast. This is your host, Saranya Kerry. Here is the first episode of a new series that will be a bit different from the previous episodes in the sense that we are going to do topical episodes having different views from different people and of different backgrounds and expertise. The first topic of this series is the Kenyans' reactions on the 10-year GMO ban recently lifted. In this series, we're going to hear from scientists, consumers, farmers, regulators to a common manage on their take on this ban being lifted. I made a call to different people, both in and outside my circle, to give their views on what they think about the GMO ban being lifted. Here is what a cancer researcher had to say when I asked him why he responded to my call. People talk about GMOs all this week. And I mean, some of the information is you're just like, where do people get these things? And, and I think just like any other technology that comes or that is made in the West, and probably we try to uh, implement it in Africa, the communication around these things is always one very terrible. Two, it is seen from an imperialist angle. Three, it's not done by the right people. At the end of the day, whatever is out there, whatever the masses hear and or respond to are things that are not founded either in science or are not factual. Somebody's opinion, which everybody's entitled to, becomes the fact that that runs the day other than the actual scientific fact. That is something that needs to be corrected and it can only be corrected by getting people who at least have an idea about what genetics is. Speaking is Dr. Victor Oria, a cancer researcher at the Biotech Research and Innovation Center in the University of Copenhagen, based in Denmark. He is also a chief scientist in the Integrated Cancer Research Foundation in Kenya, an NGO committed to promoting cancer awareness and research on ways to fight cancer. He just said that... We need people to give us facts, right? Since he has a background in biochemistry, which brings with him a wide knowledge in genetics and GMOs, I asked him to explain what GMOs are. A genetically modified organism, in short, in quote, uh, GMO, is any organism whose genetic material has been altered using molecular biology techniques or genetic engineering techniques. What does it mean to you for the GMO ban to be lifted in Kenya? I, I think... For me, it's a step in the right direction. I say I, I say this as a scientist because we as Africa, we are always recipients of technology. All technology seems to be originating from the West, be it in engineering, be it in life sciences, be it in you know uh, marine biology and all these other sorts of you know technical uh, subjects. We are always recipients of this technology, and as long as we are recipients of these technologies. It means that as a nation, we will never, uh, we will never advance. We will never advance to a level where we can consider ourselves to be, you know, independent and or drivers of, uh, drivers of, uh, you know, world and economic progress. And if I give you an example, for instance, in the area of fintech, and financial technology, you see Kenya is really, it's really ahead because uh, the reception of those technologies have been very um has, has been quite easy in, in in kenya and so you see a lot of fintech products developing and uh, and expanding and i mean something like mobile pay which has taken over the whole world uh, it, i want to believe it began with mpesa yeah 
even things like you know paying for our electricity bills through the mobile phone receiving our medical results and whatever through the mobile phone kcse kcp results through the mobile phone these are things that started in kenya and it was just gsm technology you know so we run the risk we run the risk of always being late adopters of technology and the way technology is today if you're late if you're late in in acquiring it and or using it then what happens is by the time you start using it people are ahead uh, when gmos i think started become uh, started becoming you know an issue uh in the early 2000s there if i'm not wrong maybe late 90s 98 99 early 2000s there and uh, the countries that uh, you know left the door open for them a lot of advances have come through that yet for us in kenya we are still at the discussion phase and i think the problem is the problem is uh, we never really got uh, 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 scientists to come out and speak about this thing as a scientific body one would expect that uh, a body like the kenya national academy of sciences would have been uh, uh, at the front line of saying you know guys this thing may be wrong and that's our initial perception but we can never we can never really understand it until and unless we we, we go into it we invest into it we research into we research it and so on and then, uh, so it, it, there's there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of cloud around it, and uh, uh, it means that we've delayed in terms of like, you know, getting even money for research uh, from different uh, uh, funders abroad uh, or even in the country. People may be interested in advancing agricultural technologies and whatever. It's it's so it's this is I w- I, w- I wouldn't say that it's a game changer. But it's a step in the right direction, because right now people who would want to work with Kenyan scientists on, you know, improving and developing more genetic techniques to kind of uh, study plants, animals, and also you know human uh, human livestock and plant diseases. Now they're like, ah, you know, the government there is now receptive. Now we can do collaborations, and and I think that's a big, big, big step uh, uh, for the country and also for the scientific. Uh, uh, niche in Kenya. Yeah. So is it a win for scientists or is it a win for the Kenyan people? It's a win for both scientists and the Kenyan people. Yeah. It's a win for both scientists and the Kenyan people. And uh, 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 it depends with how it will be communicated. You know, it actually just depends on how it will be communicated. If we start telling our people, for instance, that there's a, there's a huge chance that even the beer you consume for those who drink beer or even for those people who use insulin in hospitals, for those people who take antibiotics when they're sick and, you know, for people who eat certain types of cheese and, you know, some dairy products, all these things have been made by genetically modified organisms. So what is the, what is the, uh, what is the fuss about? What is the fast about? Yeah. So it's just it it's just the communication, and I think uh, 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 and I don't I don't say this uh, in a bad way. I think activists activists and anti 
uh, anti-GMO, uh, you know, uh, organizations have really been very loud out there. Yeah. And uh, they've never been countered or scientists are probably, because most of them, are, we are academics and we don't want to get into that. We call it a swine fest, you know. Why should I go and argue with somebody who has no understanding about what's happening? But then that's the problem. I think sometimes we academics and scientists, we run the risk of being too polished and too elite that we are afraid of getting into the mud. Because if we go out there and we get into the mud, uh, one, probably we don't know how to communicate uh, in a very simple way that uh, a, a member of the public will understand us. So that gap, the big gap that exists between science and members of the public, the general members of the public, is so big. And this space is now occupied by people who either controversies or conspiracy theories or just outright lies. And of course, because they have loud megaphones, they win the day. So for you as a scientist, if you're coming in and you're now starting to explain that, listen, guys, there's nothing wrong with GMOs. Yeah, You first need to have an understanding of what it is. You first need to uh, ask yourself, what, what kind of technology actually went behind this product or behind this you know, improvement or behind this uh, discussion that we're having? Uh, before we can, before we can, uh, uh, we, we can, we can start arguing about this. But if people can actually understand that the beer you drink, the antibiotic you take, the insulin, the diabetics take, some of these foods that we eat that have got uh, uh, fancy or exotic flavors and so on, all these things are made by genetically modified organisms. So is it uh, uh, in, in 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 crops? That we now start drawing the line. I mean, uh, so like I said, it's a win for both uh, Kenyan scientists and the public. But to win over the public, there needs to be excellent communication in a simple and understandable manner, so that people can actually understand this is what is happening, and uh, this is not going to uh, harm you in any way. And also, it's also important that people understand the processes that a GMO goes through before it can actually be approved and put onto the market. When we make some of these products uh, as, as a scientist, and even I know, because one of my mentors who actually works on biotechnology at Kenyatta University, he said one thing the other day on, on television that, you know, I cannot make something that is going to harm my family. Yeah, I'm not that insensitive. I'm not that uh, 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 I'm not that inhuman to make something that is going to to make something that is going to harm me. Uh, second, it's our reputation on the line. Yeah, it's our reputation on the line. Uh, so whatever we whatever is going to come out of say a lab, yeah, even before it's it goes to the shelf, there are a lot of uh, uh, very rigorous processes it goes through of uh, regulation, of checking for biosafety, uh, uh, checking for toxin levels, checking for, say, uh, uh, food content levels or, or, or nutrient content levels. Uh, are they changing? Uh, are they different from the, from, from the normal one and so on? So it goes through a, a very rigorous testing process that by the time, by the time it's on the shelf, uh, 
it, it, it has it has uh, 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 it has the seal of approval. Uh, the only the only reason why I also think, and I would say this also uh, with with a light touch, that the only reason why uh, uh, there's also hesitancy in Kenya is because we know sometimes our our institutions let us down. You know, you come across something on the shelf that is toxic or has you know uh, the chemical content is not what is written on the on the packet, but it's actually maybe the high levels of lead in a product. Or mercury in a product and so on, you know. So it's 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 the pro- I would say the problem is not the GMOs. The problem is uh, 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 the culture that irrigates our regulatory system. Sometimes it it's it is uh, there are few crooks here and there who take advantage of the system, and then you know uh, 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 give a seal of approval to certain products that don't. Uh, 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 that don't uh, uh, meet the standards, but this can happen to any product, whether it's GMO or not. Yeah, yeah. So, so my message to those who are anti-GMO, I think one, it will be important to uh, to find forums, and this will require you know scientists like me and you and others, uh, and those especially in Kenya who are working in the biotechnology field, to have these open forums where we can speak to members of the public openly respond to their questions, listen to them, so that we alleviate their fears. Because you cannot work in an environment that rejects what you do. It, it, it feels very frustrating. Yeah? Because even if you're going to request for funds to work on, 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 on genetically modified organisms, then parliament, which is the body that is supposed to uh, allocate money for uh, uh, public spending, We'll say, but why are we funding uh, uh, GMO research? We are not uh, consuming GMOs in this country. But if the public shift changes, yeah, the public mood changes, if the public attitude changes towards this uh, uh, this technology and uh, the benefits that come with it, then it's a win for the country. Uh, 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 it's also a win for the population. But there's a caveat here. I think also what... Uh, when you hear, when you, when you listen to the news, maybe it's I don't know uh, 9 p.m. or 7 p.m. news, you hear somebody saying, "Oh, eh, as a way of curbing food insecurity, the government has authorized uh, the uh, uh, the um, cultivation of GMO uh, or has lifted the ban on GMO maize and or maybe GMO soy and whatever." I think uh, uh, tying the introduction of GMOs to food security is a wrong concept. Uh, Kenya is not food insecure because we've not introduced GMOs. Even with the introduction of GMOs, we might still be food insecure. Our food insecurity is because of uh, starts at the production level, how much are we producing? And even if we are not producing enough, how how are we storing what we are? what we are producing. And I, I know if you watch TV or you listen to news, we always see, you know, every now and then, NCPB making announcement, oh, you know, uh, 100,000 bags of maize have aflatoxin, or they were not stored properly. They are moist, they have grown fungus and whatever, you know. So that's 100,000 bags gone. And one could say probably sabotage, because people want to import in cheap maize too, uh, to flood the market. 
and then so so our food insecurity is down to production deficits storage deficits accessibility deficits and affordability deficits it's got nothing to do with gmo and so tying gmo or the lifting on the ban on gmos to food insecurity for me it's wrong you should lift it up as a way of saying we want to build our uh, we want to build our scientific vigor we want to build our scientific system to produce robust products because genetic engineering uh, or genetic modification is not only for crops it could also be for animals yeah we could produce high quality animal breeds through gmo through genetic modification yeah we could start because right now kenya imports uh, almost all of its medicines and for those that are made locally they are probably uh, these are now genetic drugs whose patents are have already been lifted so you are simply using a formulation i don't think we are doing any major research to produce any major drug in the country i could be wrong but this is as things stands now i've not heard of a company that is really investing in 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 in, in uh, novel uh, medical uh, research to develop new medical products. I don't think that's happening in Kenya. Genetic modification will give us this advantage. Yeah? Because then we improve the scientific capacity of the country. Students uh, or even researchers at the university levels, uh, the, uh, in academic institutions, in teaching hospitals, in some of these research institutions, uh, uh, once this, you know, there's this scientific interaction and all knowledge exchange and among many other things, people are now able to think widely. And then we are like, okay, how can we apply this technology to solve some of the problems that we have? Yeah, we even hear of some uh, some people in in parts of northeastern, upper eastern, and even Ukambani area where you know they have water, but the water is contaminated. Yeah. If we know what contaminates uh, the water, whether it's a it's a it's a it's a it's an organic chemical that can be broken down by bacteria, then we can we, we can treat those water with genetically modified bacteria so that people get clean water to drink. These are some of the advantages of of of, of, of genetic engineering. So uh, the advantages are widespread, but we've narrowed it to uh, you know we've narrowed it to. Oh, I'm not going to eat GMO maize, or oh, I'm not going to eat GMO beans, or oh, if you eat this in ten years, you'll have a leaf growing out of your ear. You know, it, it, it's really ridiculous some of the things that you hear. But yeah, so this is this is my message to the anti-GMO people. There is nothing wrong with it. It's just the messaging around it has been terrible, and we know that bad news always travels faster than good news. As a cancer researcher. Mm -hmm. Do GMOs cause cancer? No, the GMOs do not cause cancer. In fact, take this example. Mm -hmm. If 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 you are if you are using if you are say you have a uh, you're growing potatoes, and your potatoes uh, are always affected by a pest. Yeah, you're going to spray the potato with pesticides. Yeah. So one. First, you're killing. You're killing probably some of the uh, uh, good microbes that live in the soil with those pests, depending on the concentration that you use. Number two, you are exposing yourself to those pesticides because we know very few people, very few farmers probably will 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 uh, will adhere to 
uh, the uh, the protective clothing requirement that is needed before you spray your farm. Yeah? Ukizunguka tu around will hear people saying, ah, sisi tunafanyanga tu hivi. No? Sisi tunafanyanga tu hivi. Yet they are exposing themselves to very toxic chemicals. Those toxic chemicals are likely to cause cancer because they're likely to introduce mutations into uh, into uh, 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 they're likely to introduce DNA breaks in your cells, and if these persist, then I, in the end you're likely to develop cancer. Uh, but if we introduce a gene into this potato plant that then uh, 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 kills the pest directly or make or acts as a repellent to this pest, then these farmers do not need to use uh, 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 the pesticides. So there's a huge chance of you getting cancer from using pesticides and certain herbicides, actually, more than eating GMO food. Yeah, I would say that. But just a simple answer, I have not uh, come across any news anywhere that says, oh, I ate GMO maize, or I ate GMO soya, or I ate GMO rice, and then I got cancer. I've never heard of anything like that. But I've heard stories, and even in the news, and even some of these big pesticide companies have been forced to settle uh, lawsuits privately because farmers or cleaners or uh, or factory workers who are using a certain chemical got lung cancer or had some sort of lymphoma or had some sort of, you know, uh, myeloma, cancer, uh, mesothelioma, and so on because of exposure to these chemicals. So yeah, so if we are, if 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 we are uh, the balance of probability looking at chemicals and looking at GMO food, I think chemicals have a higher chance of causing cancer than GMO food. Yeah. So are you saying that GMO plants mm-hmm. made to be resistant to um, pests mm-hmm. will actually help in? reducing the cancer cases are you saying no, that i'm not saying that i'm not mm. saying that because uh, 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 all these are just risk factors using chemicals is just a risk factor there are people who will okay. use chemicals and never get cancer and there are people mm. who will not use chemicals and get cancer yeah that's why they're just mm. called risk factors but uh, but i'm not saying that oh if we if if you use GMO plants and instead of spraying your crops, that then you will not get cancer. That one I will be lying. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is, and uh, uh, if you eat GMO food, you're not going to get cancer. That is that as as it stands today. That is the fact. You mentioned insulin and it being made from or beneficiary of GMO. Um, has it, there been any report of people using insulin and them getting cancer? I don't think so. I've never heard of that. I can't say uh, that uh, people using insulin have been able to, to get cancer. The main argument that I've heard so far mm-hmm. uh, from the anti-GMO people on Twitter so far mm-hmm. is uh, now the lifting the ban is is going to make the farmer suffer mm-hmm. uh, because now companies from outside will come in and bring 
be able to come with their you know gmo and get over the market mm-hmm. over compared to the farmer who does not use gmo mm-hmm. the other argument that i've heard is 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 um the farmers the 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 controller of the seed mm-hmm. the controller of the seed the seed to farm will be big companies mm-hmm. and the farmers will not be able to access the seeds to do farming mm-hmm. unless they in short the farmers will suffer that's that was the main messaging what what comment do you have about that i think this is where regulation comes in yeah mm. and this is where now the government which is a government of the people for the people and by the people must make sure that the regulations that they are going to put in place protect the farmers so one, I know that uh, in Kenya we have CALRO, Kenya Agricultural and Livestock Research Organization, yeah? And I know that CALRO, uh, together with the with other research institutes in Kenya, uh, work hand-in-hand hand with the National Biosafety Authority to work on certain uh, 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 genetically modified uh, crops, especially, I think, cotton, maize, potatoes, uh, if I'm not wrong. It's been a while since I checked, but I think based on uh, what I know, I know they, they work, they're working on these three crops at the moment. Caldro is a public organization, isn't it? So if we are going to plant, uh, if you're going to plant a GMO maize in Kenya, it's Caldro that is supposed to do the testing of this, or it's, it's, or it's at Caldro where the basic research starts. Yeah, be it is be it maize, be it beans, be it cotton, be it soya, and so on. All this begins at Caldro, and this is where now the Kenyan government needs to be very, uh, very, very rigid. Any potential researcher who wants to do or who wants to introduce GMO uh, crops in Kenya, yeah, they have to be tested in the country, even if the research is done outside. One, it has to be in collaboration with Caldro. We need to have information and first-hand information about what is happening. We don't want to read it in papers. We want our scientists to also be, uh, uh, you know, the generators of this knowledge. Because as as long as the government has got the intellectual property rights, yeah. Because if you're working for Caldro, you're working for the government. If you produce a seed and especially food, which is a matter of national security, in a way, the government should own the rights to, to that. Yeah? Just like, uh, just like uh, the government owns a big chunk of, of, of Safaricom, for instance, yeah? because it's a profitable thing. So once the government owns the right to, uh, uh, to the seeds through Caldo, then you, you keep... You keep uh, 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 the international uh, players away. It's just as simple as that. Why are we worried about it? The international players are not going to come into the country if our government doesn't allow them. So it's up to us. Instead of saying that, oh, we don't want to accept this because the international players will come in and our farmers will, will suffer. No, that's not the right. that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is say, we are going to invest in our own 
crops in our own, and we're going to use the technology and build and uh, develop our own seeds. And uh, these seeds will be available to farmers at, uh, 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 at this price. Because now it's the government owning the patent, you, you, you don't really care about profit. Yeah? You only care that you break even so that you can keep producing the seeds. The second, you can say any GMO plant that is to be planted in the country. And you say, for instance, right now, uh, the maize one is really, I hear it's, it's, it's almost being rolled out. The cotton one is almost being rolled out. The potato one is still a little bit, uh, a little bit behind. But uh, you would say that these seeds, one, they have to be owned by a Kenyan company, even if it's a foreign organization that has got, that has got, uh, that has got, uh, 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 maybe owns the company that makes the seeds, but uh, 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 it has to be a, a property of Kenyans, yeah. So then that means even as a government, because you're not supposed to regulate prices on seeds, or, or you're not supposed to regulate commodity prices because you let market forces play, but you can say on something as important as this. Yeah, we are going to say that uh, uh, a kilo of maize seeds. I don't know how much it retails for right now. A kilo of maize seeds will probably retail at two thousand. Now this is two thousand is enough for you to plant, say, three acres of, of land and whatever. So you have to regulate those prices, and you can only regulate those prices if you own the, if you own the uh, intellectual property rights. So. That's the important. That's the important. The important part. When you open the market, or when you when you when you lift the ban, are you allowing international companies to come in? And if you're allowing them to come in, the products that they're introducing in the country, have they been field tested in the country? That's very important because the soil composition in different countries is very different. Yeah. So it's important that before any uh, any international company can come into the country and introduce their own seeds and whatever, have those been tested into the country? Uh, and uh, can they grow well in our, in our fields without affecting other crops, without affecting the biodiversity, and so on and so forth, without, like, you know, in the end, running out uh, maybe the, the, uh, uh, the other nutritious crops that just grow naturally in, in our soils. So that is very, very important. Yeah? Uh, and I think uh, that is what will determine whether we uh, whether we um, whether we uh, we really uh, enjoy eh, the fruits of science and genetic modification or not. Because the other thing is, if cultural develops the seeds, then it needs it can then partner with local companies that produce seeds. What's the net effect of this? Yeah. Right now. What most farmers do, we are planting these hybrid seeds, if I'm not wrong, yeah? You're planting these hybrid seeds. And for those in the villages or uh, rural farmers like my grandmother, when they harvest, they select the best ones, they hang them somewhere in the kitchen, uh, and then when the next planting season comes, they take those ones and then they replant them, yeah? Uh, what this means, if we, if we, if we, if we really work well, and if there's funding into enough funding into Calro, and we are able to develop a lot of seeds for different crops, 
and or uh, uh, plans. One, it means that uh, we are going to be creating uh, very well-paying scientific jobs around the country, number one, yeah? Uh, and then uh, around these companies, around these companies that will be now be uh, uh, making these seeds, uh, but uh, relying on Calro's IP rights, yeah? There are also other secondary companies that will will come up, yeah? So they're very, they're very long term. They're very long term uh, 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 benefits for this. Because right now, if you look at, for instance, Kenya, uh, just as an example, the number of people we are churning out out of our universities and even technical colleges who have done biology, biochemistry, biotechnology, microbiology, genetics, molecular medicine, and so on. There are so many, but where do they really end up? Cambry cannot take all of them. ICP cannot take all of them. ILRI cannot take all of them. So a large chunk of them end up either working as bankers, either working as medical representatives, or going into some other form of careers. Which There's no problem with that. Yeah, There's no problem with that. But you and me have been in university, and we know once we go in, our dream is always to, you know, I want to do science. I want to do some research. I want to develop a product and so on, yeah? So what this will do is that uh, once we start, like, you know, uh, uh, developing our own seeds locally and then selling these rights to uh, 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 to local companies to actually now manufacture these seeds in bulk, what that starts doing is that we now start attracting, attracting uh, uh, people with money who are interested in investing in research country and that becomes a win-win for our country because right now it's only the Kenyan government that probably is giving money uh, uh, to, to most uh, 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 barely giving us money a lot of money is coming from outside and if there's no government if there's no proper government funding into research then nothing really comes out that we will say oh you know this research we actually own it and then it becomes like a bargaining chip for more funding from outside or for more collaborations from outside so that we can uh, uh, we can improve on, on 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 these things otherwise we will continuously remain we will continuously remain uh, recipients of technology and that means that we lag behind yeah when you just think that you're about to get kick everyone out of poverty the poverty line uh, uh, arises uh, a couple of years ago, if you were earning less than $1 a day, or if you are spending less than a dollar a day, you are considered poor. Right now, a dollar in Kenya, what can it get you? Nothing. So basically, right now, it means if you are probably spending less than $3 a day or $4 a day, then you are considered poor. Yeah, Because everything, everything has gone up. Yeah, But it's technology. Uh, and not just in fintech, it's technology if you cut it across uh, from business to, uh, you know, uh, computer science to life sciences, agricultural sciences, engineering, uh, civil and building, things like those. It has to, this is what spurs growth, yeah? But we cannot just take them also blindly. We have to take we have to understand it in our context before we can use it.
then it will be very uh, productive for us. Yeah. So we should not accept everything blindly, but we should take it, study it in our context, and see where can we actually use it to improve our, our livelihood, to build our, our nation, and ultimately, you know, earn us some sort of value through either money or prestige and whatever we might consider valuable to the country. The Kenyan government, just as most African governments, they have been known not to heavily fund research. And that has become a major problem when it comes to development of a country. As a scientist, I thought what Victor thought about this uh, with the incoming government having a sitting president who has a PhD in ecology, meaning he's a scientist. Does that mean that the research funding will increase and that means more jobs for scientists who've been sitting out here not working? What happens now? What, what, do, what do you hope for? Yeah, this is, this, is something that is very, this is something that is very dear to me because I am always, and wherever I get a chance to speak to uh, uh, people in high positions in government and, and even just chatting with people while having a drink somewhere, I always try to, I always try to say, uh, to say something, that, uh, to say this. The difference between, say, for instance, uh, Denmark and Kenya, yeah? because Denmark, where I live, is, is a small country in terms of size and population. Mm-hmm. It's only five point something million people here. But they're probably so way they're so much richer than us, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, one industry where they have heavily invested in uh, is the life science industry, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they are able to develop a lot of biotech products. They are able to develop a lot of uh, pharmaceuticals. They are able to develop a lot of uh, you know technologies that are used in research and so on. And uh, I think. Uh, 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 there's, there's an op-ed I wrote will, it will probably be accepted by one of the dailies or not so when it's accepted maybe people will read it there uh, Kenya's budget I think the last budget that we read was around maybe 3.3 3.4 trillion dollars a trillion Kenya shillings yeah mm-hmm. that's our whole budget Denmark just from exporting uh, uh, exporting uh, you know uh, uh, medicinal products and all these pharmaceutical and biotech products. Just that alone gives them up to four trillion dollar, four trillion Kenya shillings annually, mm. and that's a small part of the economy. Yeah, that's a very small part of the economy. Mm. And the reason why this happens is because they've invested. They have invested in uh, centers of. Centers of Research Excellence. Yeah? Public money is poured there. For every, is, for every, say, one krona, one Danish krona, which is 17 Kenyan shillings, for every 17 Kenyan shillings that the Danish government puts into the university to fund research, they get out 85 Kenyan shillings out of it every year. Oh. This is in terms of patents, in terms of startup companies that are coming out, in terms of new technologies that are being developed. And uh, when a new technology is developed, yeah, say somebody discovers, oh, I've found a new way of, of, uh, of, of, of treating hemophilia, which is this clotting disease, for instance. Yeah? 
Of course, it's a big global market. What then happens? It means that the companies that control this market suddenly become interested in, in a company like this. Yeah? Yeah. So they come in and they say, okay, we see you've developed a new product here. Okay, we are going to buy you out. And of course, when a, when a company is interested in buying you out, then it means your value has already gone higher. Yeah? Because they really need your technology now. Or yeah. they really need that product. So uh, 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 even just look at look at uh, 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 two years ago when COVID came in, Biontech was not a big company. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the year 2019, I think their total revenue was less than 300 million uh, euros a year. Uh, if I check, I'll probably I will reconfirm. We can reconfirm this later. But uh, uh, in 2020, they had around 483 million euros in their revenue. In 2021, once the vaccine rollout started, they had 18 billion in revenue. Just look at that jump from 483 million in 2020 to 18 billion in in in, in 2021. Yeah? That's the value that you know. Uh, 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 just having a, a functional product in the market that is generated mm. uh, by scientific research and rigorous scientific research gives you. Yeah. So you know, with eighteen billion, Biontech can now expand its portfolio of of research. It mm. can it can now say, okay, we want to test mRNA vaccine in say treating malaria. We want to test maybe mRNA technology in treating uh, uh, or in managing say diabetes. Now they have the money. You can do that, yeah, mm. yeah. So, so, so this is the this is the this is the importance of investing in research. And my hope, my hope, I have, I have two wishes. Number one, this NRF thing. One, either you disband it or you change the act. Sorry, uh, National Research Fund. Yeah. So the National Research Fund. Yeah. One, either you disband, either you disband it. Or you change the act in totality. Because right now, if you look at the board or the people who make decisions there, they're either lawyers or they are businessmen or they're political appointees. None of them probably has got anything to do with science. It looks like, a, you know, uh, just people who are, who've been appointed to, you know, uh, to be there, but they don't necessarily do, do anything. NRF in its entirety should have a panel of scientists leading it. And these are people who are not going to work full-time. And I think in most countries, when there's a board that is managing uh, scientific research funds, these are probably university professors or researchers who work full-time as university researchers, and they just donate part of their time in in, in serving in in such organizations. Because the only time they need to work is when they're disbursing the funds or when they are, you know, sending out uh, the, the, um, the research proposals to reviewers or when they are actually listening to uh, uh, recipients of their funds say something so that maybe they can effect changes or whatever. But here we've made it like a full-time job for people who are so far away from science, they probably don't understand what even what's, what are the, even actually the benefits of science. So in the end, uh, uh, it's a lose-lose for us. I mean, I remember in 2020 when Uru Kenyatta put out a cancer call 
it's the first time the Kenyan government ever put out a specific call to fund cancer research. We submitted a proposal. We've never had, I've never had anything to date from them, whether it was rejected or accepted or whether it's gone to the second or third step. I mean, so how can we really do science like that? Number three, uh, uh, global standards say that you need at least 2% of your GDP to be put in science to support, uh, you know, scientific research. Kenya's GDP uh, is around $133 billion or thereabouts. Yeah? 2% of that uh, comes to around maybe... Uh, uh, comes to around uh, 0.7 uh, uh, billion dollars. That's around $700 million. Yeah? Mm. $700 million, if you uh, multiply that by 100, that brings you to about 70 billion Kenya shillings. So this is the amount of money, 70 billion Kenya shillings. This is the amount of money that we should be investing in research. This is what a portion of this should be going to universities, a portion of this should be going to research institutions, a portion of this should be going to uh, teaching and referral hospitals and so on. Yeah. How much a is portion of this? Sh- I'm saying a portion, a portion of each of these 70 billion should be going to different research institutes and academic institutions around the country. How yeah. much is the government giving currently? I, I I don't think I don't think it's even ten billion. Even that's a, that's a, that's a far fetch. I don't think it even I don't even think it gets to to five billion. I don't I don't think so. It's it's very 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 minimal. And even if, when the government gives this money, probably fifty percent of it goes to administration cost. Yeah. You always I always see because I think I follow NRF and Nakosti on Twitter. I always see the employees, they're somewhere in Japan, they're somewhere in Australia, they're somewhere in Chile, somewhere in the United States, somewhere in Europe, and I'm wondering these people are always traveling. What 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 are they doing? Is this actually their role to be traveling? Yeah, every other time, or are they actually supposed to, you know, uh, disburse money and uh, uh, to scientists in the country. So, yeah, I think uh, uh, NRF really needs to uh, up its game because otherwise we will still lag behind in, uh, in scientific productivity and output. Okay, going back to the question, do you think that having a president who is a scientist is a good thing for scientists? It depends. Uh, is he going to start listening to scientists? Is he going to uh, 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 walk the talk uh, by saying a lot of our problems can be solved by uh, uh, scientific research, whether it's medical, whether it's agricultural, whether it's uh, 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 things to do with urban development or social research or uh, philosophical research? Can it give us answers to our problems? Yes, it will give us answers and it will direct us where we want to go. So he has to walk the talk because scientists cannot work with hot air. We have to work with money, with resources, and this is money, which is from uh, the exchequer. So as a scientist, we hope that he will be good to us. We hope that he will say, my government is going to commit 2% of the GDP every year for the next five years to boost scientific research in the country. 
but we, we, we wait to see that. Is there any question that you hoped I would ask and I did not ask that you can answer? Is there any question that I hope um, you would ask me? Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I would say uh, I was hoping maybe to hear how can we really educate the public or how can we really narrow the gap that exists between the public and science, yeah? Mm-hmm. And this is just, uh, you know, right from genetically modified organisms to other sort of, uh, you know, scientific discourse, yeah? I think it's very important that, uh, it's very important that different scientific organizations that we have in the country, I know we have different societies, like Society for Microbiologists, uh, Biochemical Society of Kenya, the Kenya National Academy of Sciences. Uh, we have the African Academy of Sciences. Uh, we have uh, the Kenya Society for Hematology and Oncologists, and so on. All these scientific societies that we have in the country. I think it would be very important that uh, uh, we get out of our bubble yeah, and start reaching people, uh, reaching communities where they are and starting to communicate these things in a way that they truly understand. Because even right now, I think our vaccine uptake is still very, very low. The corona vaccine uptake, I think it's still very low. I don't know what percentage it is, but I don't think we've crossed 50%. Uh, and and one of the reasons why uh, 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 this probably is the case, one could be maybe because we never got enough vaccines. But two, is also, uh, uh, you know, the communication around it. It was never really, 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 really clear and, and direct enough to be understood by people. Yeah. So uh, my 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 take is uh, scientists need to really like you know cut out that eliteness and you know technical language and just speak to members of the public in a very uh, direct and simple way so that they can also be recipients of this scientific knowledge and understand it so that when they uh, uh, hear about something uh, they will they will the first question they will ask are you a scientist and how do you know about this because if somebody is not a scientist and they are peddling the wrong information and if you have an educated public then they are able to call out such instances and then we we, we have a country where you know yes we can engage in discourse but we engage in discourse uh, uh using facts and, uh, 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 and truth rather than rumors and innuendos and, you know, and conspiracy theories. Yeah. So does that mean if you're a scientist, whatever you say is true? No. It has to be backed by facts. Yeah. It has to be backed by facts. And the, the beauty about science is that its truth is not cast in stone. Yeah. Its truth is not cast in stone. And to give you an example, when the in in the year two thousand and uh, the year two thousand, when we I think when the uh, the sequencing of the human genome was commissioned, after the results came out, a, a huge chunk of the DNA was considered junk DNA that it was not doing anything, and we started focusing only on that small percent that we knew. Oh, this is where this is what is making the proteins and everything the coding region. 
But then as time moves, we realize that part of this junk DNA mm. contains a lot of uh, 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 very useful, uh, uh, you know, uh, very useful uh, 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 genes. Uh, things like long encoding RNAs are part are part of this uh, 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 junk DNA. I think even epigenetics arose from uh, these areas that we consider junk DNA and so on. Yeah. So science is very dynamic, and it's it changes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is true today yeah, uh, uh, could be very different tomorrow, but it is based on facts. If we say if we say blood is red, until somebody else. Uh, does a, does some research and say you know it's not really red because the composition of red is a b c and d but we think it's crimson because uh, blood contains a b and c and not a b c and d as an example mm-hmm. so yes so based on existing evidence whatever science says that is that is what goes but if it changes then uh, 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 we don't, you don't say, ah, you know, I'm the one who discovered this, so now it's changed, now I feel like, you know, uh, these people are lying. No. If there's evidence enough, and that's why oh, you, you cannot do science, one, if you're not humble, and if you if you don't ask, allow yourself to be stupid. You have to be stupid enough to make discoveries. Or you have to be stupid enough because then, you know, you become more curious. Yeah? But if you're very rigid, uh, that this is what I know and that's it, it's never gonna, uh, you're never going to learn anything. Dr. Victor is not the only person I talk to. I talk to biotech experts, farmers, consumers, ordinary Kenyan just like you. I was able to get their different views on this topic. Please keep it locked here so that you can also get the other views of the other people that can be summarized into one podcast or individual podcasts. If you'd like to comment or share your views about this topic, tag us at TV Scientist Pod at any social media platform that you have or the Vulnerable Scientist Podcast if you find it. See you!